Hey everybody, this is Petey from the Spinner Rack. I've been... Hey everybody, this is Petey from the Spinner Rack. And today I'm doing the, which should be the final chapter in the Burn Saga, but I guess this is the end of it. I mean, we already did a Super uh, Supergirl story. But this will be what kind of led Burn to leaving, right? Now, in Sci-Fi Wire, Burn, they asked Burn, what would he change if he did it again? And he said, if he had to go back to do it again, he would say no to DC, right? He said, I would just say, when Dick Giordano asked him, put your money where your mouth is, he would say he politely declined, right? And people said, why would he say that? And they got all mad about him before saying anything, you know, over, you know, over, you know, over, you know, I guess exaggerating how bad it was or the struggles he had. And now he's listed that basically... There was, well, no, actually, in, I pointed out there was Superman, and then there was a Superman cartoon that didn't follow this Superman. You had the licensed Superman that was still kind of Kurt Swan, but at the same time, the biggest thing outside of the negative press from the, from like, I guess, Amazing Heroes, I think they, they wrote a piece that was ultimately like, well, it was pretty much trash. Like, it was really a terrible review. And not terrible that it was them pointing out the... They're just bad as far as they didn't really understand time jumps. Right? They couldn't understand why it was jumping around. They basically asked if, like, super acts like Superman's history needs to be presented in real time. When they don't really look at the first Superman story, his origin is basically on one page and it jumps from being a baby well it jumps from Krypton to him being an adult right so I mean time jumps happen all the time so I have to negate I think it's Amazing Heroes someone put it on Facebook it was kind of wasteful because the basic if you well the problem is there's a lot of for the points that people like there's a lot of functionally illiterate people that have a hard time when they read stuff to see the parts that <laughs> kind of that um I guess Byrne is kind of pointing out. He didn't point out the the review that was out there, but at the same time there was Time magazine. Now this should be the highlight of Byrne's career. I don't think at that point, definitely at that point, none of the you know none of his peers had kind of done something like this to get the cover of Time magazine. It's not his actual script. He had an issue with Superman being, had saying my supernatural powers. So it's supposed to be superhuman powers. Supernatural is sort of a mystical thing. And since this is part of the parent company, Time Warner, he was expecting it to be a celebration of Superman's 50th, not a re-examining of the myth, how it put, the, put together, and kind of asking why were they making changes to such a classic character, right? So I don't think they kind of got it. And they're kind of critical in here, but a lot of people, when they talk about it, they said, no, it didn't happen like that. And that's why I mentioned the functional illiterate. If you read it, you can clearly see there's a slant to this. And it's a slant towards um, what Byrne was doing, right? And it's, um, cause it, in this article, I'll just give you a quick overview before I go through it. Um, Basically, it talks about the history of change of Superman and how much was added 
and updated throughout the years, right? So you have the Schuster, then you have the, you know, the, the wacky stuff of the Silver Age, then you have um, stuff in the, I think it's the 60s and 70s, and movie comes out, giving you back to the classic sort of feel. And then you have Burn, and they're saying, well, that's where they went too far, right? But they're highlighting how the changes keep happening. And we'll go through some of that, right? So here, it's not in, in books in this. It's in show business. Now, the movie, would, if a movie would kind of be show business, but this is like, you know, or like a celebrity I guess it's kind of treats Superman like a celebrity. So Burn was kind of like not really should be. It shouldn't really be here. I'm trying to highlight, you know, either books or some sort of publication, right? So basically, it starts out and it pulls out a was it Frederick Nietzsche um, quote? Behold, I teach you the Superman. The Superman is the meaning of the earth. And that's a that's a powerful quote, right? And then we have a Jerry, well, Jerome Siegel. I was lying in bed counting sheep when all of a sudden it hits me. I can see the character like Samson, Hercules, and all of the strong men I've heard tell rolled into one, only more so, right? So Jerry Siegel comes up with this idea, and then he calls up his um, friend. They're in Cleveland, his friend Joe Schuster. They come, they came up with the idea, and then as they start to sell it, they get, they get pushed back. They say that a rather immature piece of work from United Features, crude and hurried, from Esquire Features, even Detective Comics. Was it um was it Harry Donenfeld? He looked at the first cover and called it ridiculous. Right, and of course, they put it out, and it was a big success, leading to Superman getting his own comic book, which at the time when they balked at a, a raise for Siegel and Schuster, um, that Superman wouldn't have his own title, he would get one, where he was the lead feature, and he would be the only feature, right? So, oh, what else is it? Still going through it with seven minutes in, sorry. So he said, he's our myth, our American myth, says screenwriter David Newman, who collaborated on the Broadway musical and three of the films. When we first started writing Superman 1, some friends said, what are you doing that for? I said, if I were an English screenwriter and I was writing about King Arthur, you wouldn't be asking that. Byrne, who's John Byrne, who is actually an English-born writer, now turns out monthly scripts and drawings for Superman comic books and calls the hero the ultimate American success story. A foreigner who comes to America and is more successful here than he would be anywhere else. Right? So, this one, it starts out okay, right? And we get some highlights of stuff, you know, the romances on this side, the action on this side, and it's kind of, all the stuff is kind of jumbled together, right? So when you look at that, you don't necessarily see where the slant is going, right? 
So as it goes through, well, let's keep going. And Harlan Ellison saying he's one of the most recognizable um, characters next to Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, Mickey Mouse, and Robin Hood. Um, where else? What else is here? Then they start to talk about, uh, you know, Superman being Jewish, Superman at 50, stuff like that. And they get in the history of Lois Lane. Sorry for my hand. And that she was based after Lois Amster. And she probably wouldn't have looked at those two, you know, or walked past them if they asked her out. And, of course, they get into the idea where they kind of skim over what happened with Siegel and Schuster, right? That once it was a success, they immediately sued, and then they got kicked out, which is not what happened, right? So it says, but they also told about them struggling, but they kind of went in and supported the the movie. They were kind of participating at this stage, but at this point, they're kind of still talking to them like they're, um, you know, estranged, right? And they don't even get the whole story. So when DC Comics bought their creation 50 years ago, it acquired all the rights, initially paying them only $10 page for, for their work in writing and drawing. When the first issue sold out, and subsequent sales soon climbed to 250,000 copies each. The two men sued for the rights of their, char their characters. DC dropped them, and the courts ruled against them. That is a very abridged and pretty much wrong thing because we've talked about it on this site too many times, right? So you can see, it's and then they talk about the movie, and it's very quickly glossed over, right? And um, let's see. So as they go and they get into the foreigner aspect, we got the Lois Amster there, right? And what else is here? Is there something else? Talking about the, the connection to sort of the gods, his father being like um, the father out in heaven, that his head is in the sky. And telling them that sort of thing. And, um, but then here it goes. After they talk about Jerry Siegel and, and Joe Schuster, they kind of try to talk about how all of the other media started to add to Superman. That the radio show introduced Kryptonite so the actor could um, take a break, then up, up, and away. The, the, the what was it? Uh, the bird is playing as Superman. No, faster than the speeding bullet. That's where it is. That's what the thing is, right? And talking about the struggles of Lois as being a reporter to it not. I mean, it's not. Come on, it's the forties. They're kind of asking a lot of these characters, rightly. And then they also talk about. I don't know for some reason. Right here, they kind of like take a shot at Jerry Siegel and show Schuster's uh, reaction to the war because they would ask people asking them why would why hasn't Superman gone into the war? And basically, they show that he could e quickly take Hitler and Stalin out and take them to the League of Nations tribunal in Geneva. 
And then, of course, they tried to explain how he didn't get drafted, stuff like that, obviously. But then, of course, he was going out and fighting and stuff like that. Then he turned into a television character. And, of course, they had to go to George Reeves wearing having fake muscles. And Kirk Iron saying he didn't have them. But come on, that doesn't look real there either. Unless he had the creatine and stuff from today. But then it gets to the movie, right? When it gets to the movie, it kind of gets this feel like um, they hint to the movie here, but they talk about the seduction of the innocents. And then, of course, getting the um, the the comic code where Superman, where he started critiquing it. And basically, Superman becomes irrelevant. Then the nostalgia comes from the Superman movie, right? So they kind of get to those core values. Right here, but this is where it gets kind of hairy, right? And you start talking about the changes between editors and that sort of stuff. So all through this, they kind of talk about the changes that's going on here. Changes from Lois, but this is a um this is a Mar Wolfen bit. So we're going to get to the part where they really kind of take burn to task, right? The most radical alteration of Superman is also the newest. The work of writer-artist Byrne, 37, who redesigned him for DC Comics in 1986. Circulation had slumped below 100,000 copies a month compared, for example, with nearly 500,000 for Uncanny X-Men. And DC Comics president... Jeanette Kahn decided that there was a coat of rust on the Man of Steel. She also knew that the audience for comics was changing. The corner candy store where the kids used to buy comics had, had largely disappeared, and the kids had grown older. Today's buyers average about 20 and are apt to be science students and even engineers, techies with money to spend on modems, VCRs, quadraphonic sound, and the book-length comics known, now known as graphic novels. We knew we were going to offend some people, said Byrne, but the modern audience now wants a superhero who grunts, sweats, and goes to the bathroom. He used to be Superman, and now he's Superman. Burns Clark Kent brushes his hair straight back and wears round glasses. He and Superman are drawn quite differently, more cinematically, in more garish colors. Superman's superpowers have been modified and to keep in shape, he works out with weights. Now that part is kind of ridiculous because that's kind of the, he has weights, so it looks like he, Clark Kent works out to keep that shape. You know, like to keep that build that he has. That's basically similar to Superman. It's a guy's like the glasses, but I don't think these guys get it, right? He reflects contemporary vogue of male sensitivity. DC officials hint he may be involved with AIDS, victims, and the homeless. Now, I think DC wanted to do a story with um, Jimmy Olsen getting AIDS, but they decided not to because the actor who played, well, that's, I don't need to tell you that. There's a certain actor in the Superman comics, they didn't want to handle, well, I already, that kind of gives it away that I think they were saying that the, no, I think Jim Stalin said the actor who played Jimmy Olsen was um, 
in the movie was gay, so they didn't want to do something that <clears throat> connected that character actor to the AIDS virus, right? The homeless, there was a homeless character in the story. There was a few. There was Suicide Slum. There was um, the elderly that was in the hospital. And then there was a worker in the Daily Planet who possibly lived in the Daily Planet, right? So this is where we get to the even heavier stuff. Because obviously they got wrong the idea that Clark Kent was... Um, that, Clark, that Superman had to lift weights to stay in shape. And that's not just a ruse. This is where they get to the heavier stuff. There is in this a deplorable element that might be called adultification. In which a figure created for children is subjected to adult concerns. Much as though... Tom Sawyer or Alice in Wonderland were updated by being made to confront sexual problems. Yet despite the myriad changes in the legend, something strong and fundamental remains. DC is delighted that the newest that its newest Superman has double sailed to two hundred thousand, but that is only a relatively paltry number compared to the millions to cherish an older image from their childhood. This older image, this classic Coke, the real Superman, is a figure who somehow managed to embody the best qualities in that nebulous thing known as the American character. Here we go. This is the harder part. They say this older image, right? So they say this new, new Superman is different. I don't know that they know what the newest Superman is, looks like, because they have burned Superman here, and they say, this older image, this classical, meaning this right here, this one. So they know, I don't think, I mean, they, they should have had a Kurt Swan picture, but at this, and that would, even though it wouldn't make any sense, I don't know about the garish colors, I don't know about, um, I think it's, um, it is what Burns said it was, right? So let's keep going. Right, so we got through it, right? And um, regretfully, <laughs> no, not regretfully, but let's we have to tackle the idea of adultification, right? Because you can't really see this, these colors aren't garish, there's not this drastic difference between here we have him with glasses, and so it's not that drastically different. But where's the adultification, right? The adultification is Watchmen. The adultification is Dark Knight. Both sets of characters, the original versions were for children. And the success of these things still, DC still publishes and people still write exposés saying how great they are, so... I mean, if you got Batman, well, no, you, people say it's okay to change these guys. Batman, they say, well, he's already a dark character. So both of them, Superman and Batman, in the earliest um, renditions, had no qualms of killing people. So, you know, people like to forget that when they do their story, saying, no, he didn't actually kill anybody. He's let people die many a time. He let people fall into acid. I don't know what else to say. It's uh, it's in the comic book. 
but at the same time, they're going for high drama, and the villains are cannon fodder. So anytime one's, one's spending time worrying about a Superman killed in the Golden Age, I mean, it's a waste of time because it's drama. That's when you see the Captain Marvel serials and punching people over buildings and, and falling to their death. It's just high drama and they're cannon fodder. Nobody worries about them until the comic code came and said, wait a second, what happened to that criminal that he punched? Did he kill him when he punched him? So this is to show you that the Time Magazine article was a little harsh to Burns Run. Not, and I'm being light, you know, to call it deplorable. These words have meaning, but not to fans. Fans just like, hey, we'd rather take a shot at Burn than look at Time Magazine and say, hey, what's going on? It's the 50th anniversary. They kind of bring up stuff, the ridiculous stuff of saying, hey, the first Supergirl was brought to life from Magic Totem. You know, so they try to they try to point out how the changes happen, but then when it gets to this, they kind of say this is too garish in comparison to what? There it is. We have that Superman, and we have this Superman, right? The build is different, right? Kind of hard to compare. That. So the difference between him and George Rees is the larger S, right? So you have this and I think it's Joe Schuster painting. Oh, this is by H.G. Ward, right? So it's not that hard. The S is a little different, but as you get to the Wayne Boring one, um, not that hard. The outfit is not different, but people have made, okay, here we go. We got Kurt Swan, right? So the S is a little bit bigger, right? Outside of that, got all the bells and whistles, right? I think maybe the cape is longer. I'm not sure. But um, this kind of was the last straw. And Dick Giordano saying, hey, we got two Supermans. The one you do and the one we license. So he's like, well, what was the point in doing this? When ultimately, Byrne didn't want to do a reboot. He wanted to do an, an in-continuity thing. Where it would be in-continuity. And he gets Superman to where he wanted him. Now, this isn't the first time there have been incontinuity changes. So, um, it would have been the same sort of thing. But people don't look at um, there being a difference because DC has kind of hinted that some of the stories, especially more so Batman, some of the Golden Age stories wasn't Earth 2 Batman. They were actually Earth 1 Batman. So, same as Superman. So, I guess that's it. I'm going to get this thing to you guys. Hope you like it. And there's some other things, some other comic books. There's a recent Nobel Peace Prize about if you travel to the university, if you go into areas that you haven't seen yet, they don't actually exist until you get there. And these guys got a Nobel Peace Prize for it. But 
there was a bit that was in the Superman comic books. It's a science bit. So it was very interesting that, you know, people say, oh, he's not a man of science <laughs> anymore when he was, you know. It's just, um, I don't know. He didn't have the, um, the Fortress of Solitude or the Jor-El lab he had when he was a um, kid in Smallville. But he wasn't at science, scientific activity and, and exploration wasn't out of his depth. So that's about it. Spinrack out.